Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual favor. Serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's word, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Second reading uh, from Romans 13. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And whatever other comments there might be are summed up in this one comment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love do not harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desire of the flesh. I don't usually hold the mic, so I'm sorry if you can see me shaking. I'm a little nervous. Um, so my name is Flick, if we haven't met before, um, and I work part-time for Mary Creek and do other things as well. Um, and today, uh, you'll notice that on the front of our books, we have a lovely picture that says love. So I want to start today's sermon with a simple question. What is love? Something that we talk about often. Our literature and our songs are full of it. It is something that we aspire to. And all of us have experienced love in some form. So what is it? Many people have offered thoughts on what love is. For example, Mother Teresa said, the smile is the beginning of love. Anne Landers, uh, the colonist, described love as friendship that has caught fire. And Thomas Merton, the theologian 
monk, poet, social activist, called love an intensification of life, a completeness, a fullness, a wholeness of life. Love is often spoken about as a feeling or a sentiment. Romantic love might be the first thought that you have when you hear the word love. But obviously we can use love to describe an appreciation that we have. We might say that we love the colour pink or a particular Netflix series. And of course, it's also used to speak of sex as an act. And some of us would even say that God is love. So what do you think love is? Is it a feeling, an action, a characteristic, a commitment, a response, a gift? I think there are lots of ways that we can think about love. But what I want to propose is that the passages that we've heard today from Romans describe love as a Christian ethic. And not just any old ethic, but in Romans, Paul seems to be saying that love is the ethic, the moral standard, which we must use as the basis of all our interactions. Because all of us are walking around with some sort of ethical framework in our minds. All of us have principles that we're using to help us navigate life's many decisions. But the way that love is described in these passages is no sentimental thing. Paul is explicit about saying that Christians should love their neighbours and like the story of the Good Samaritan, when he says neighbours, he means all of them, everyone. We cannot simply love the people that we feel like loving or that seem good to love. Instead, Paul tells us that sincere love blesses those who persecute us. It doesn't repay evil with evil or take revenge And it feeds enemies if they are hungry and gives them something to drink if they are thirsty. Now, my assumption is that you're probably a little bit like me and you find it much easier to love the people that love you back. But what if someone is threatening you or psychologically or physically hurting you? And how do you love systems or governments that perpetuate suffering? How do you love the people that are probably psychopaths in our society who threaten our peace and disturb our sense of security? Or, a more personal example, how do I show love to someone in my extended family who chose to act in a way that endangered their children, who caused friction and disruption in our family for decades, who defrauded their own siblings, and who has never shown any remorse for their actions? What does it look like for me to love them when actually when I'm in their presence I feel really angry and probably a little bit sick? Why should I love that person? I'm sure you can think of people and systems that you would have nothing to do with rather than showing love to them if you could. But God says in Romans, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And we are to do this by making love our ethic. So if we're going to go along with what Paul says in these passages, then we need a good reason for doing so. We need to be convinced that making love our ethic is the best way forward for us as well as for other people. And it also helps to know what it looks like to love in practice, what it looks like to love our neighbours who are good and bad. And we need to know that so that when we walk out of the doors, we can actually put it into practice. So we're going to look at um, some of the reason that Paul offers in these passages Uh, for making love our ethic, and then we're going to look at some of those practical details, how we do that day-to-day. And the most obvious uh, reason that Paul puts forward for us is that love is simply a good thing. This is implied in the details uh, when we look at the practice of love, but it's also worth remembering that in the Gospels, when Jesus is asked, 
which the most important commandment is, his response is that we are to love the one true God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and to love our neighbours as ourselves. There is no greater commandment than these, he said. So Jesus says that love is the summary of all of God's laws. And hopefully you know from your own experience that love is good. Humans make an effort to celebrate love often. I mean, if you've been to any church weddings, then you've probably memorised 1 Corinthians 13, which says that love is patient and kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonour others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And if you are the recipient of a love like that, that is a beautiful thing. So if everyone went around loving like that, the world would be a better place. So making love our ethic is a good thing to do simply because love in itself is great. It never hurts to have more love in the world. But Paul also offers us uh, two other reasons that we should consider making love our ethic. So if you're looking at your booklets, you can have a look. I'm sort of working backwards. So look at chapter 13, and verse 8 tells us that whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. And then in verse 11, it says that we love because we understand the present time. So what does it mean to say that whoever loves others has fulfilled the law? Well, you can see that some of the Ten Commandments have been given as examples, and that suggests, obviously, that it's God's law that's being referred to, not just our social laws. And this is part of our series of Romans, and if you have any capacity to think back to Romans, then you might remember that in the first few chapters of Romans, Paul has spent significant time explaining that God has spelt out the law to humanity so that people would understand his ideal ethic or his ideal way of living in the world, and that is intended so that people have an understanding of how they should be relating to God and how they should be relating to each other. And logically, if God is the one that has made all things and has created things with a particular order, then God knows the best way for things to function. That just kind of follows on. And so uh, it makes sense that if God says this is a good way of doing things, then that is the best way for us to step into that. So as we heard before, Jesus said that love is the summary of all God's laws. So when you love others, you are fulfilling or obeying those laws. But we all know for ourselves that even if we know what is required of us, we know what is good, we don't always manage it. Sometimes we do, sometimes we are definitely very loving people, but not all the time. I'm always reminded of this um, when I'm with my family, who I love dearly, but even then that is the time where I find it the hardest to put into practice patience or quietness or gentleness or whatever it is. So... We know that we don't always nail the love thing. And so when God's law is applied, uh, everyone stands in the same position. Even if we know what is good, we can't always do it. And we are trapped in that cycle of wanting to do something good but failing to do it and having to try again. We are all guilty of failing to love others and rebelling against God's way. And so the consequence is that we are all facing God's judgment. Jesus Christ is the one person who managed to fulfil God's law. And in Romans 5, Paul has explained that those who have faith in Jesus Christ and in what he achieved are represented by God, represented before God by Jesus. 
They are united to Jesus and have been given his righteousness as a gift. And the reason I'm uh, repeating something that we probably mostly know to be true is that understanding this truth is really important in our motivation for loving our neighbours because this truth is central to understanding the present time and that's that second reason that we've been given to make love our ethic. If we believe what the Bible says about God and Jesus, then we believe that God loves all people And we believe that God has the power to transform anyone's life and any circumstance, no matter how evil it may seem. If we are Christians, we know personally that God has transformed our lives. And it also means that we believe that God has already begun this work of bringing in his kingdom, which is a place of peace and joy and is free from affliction and persecution. And it also means that we understand that we are waiting for Jesus to return to complete this work and to judge all things. When Jesus comes to judge all things, those who are found to be united to him because of their faith in him will be resurrected and have eternal life with God in his good kingdom. But those who do not have faith in Jesus will not receive that eternal life with God in the new heavens and the new earth. And so the reason that we love our neighbours, even our enemies, is because we understand that God has a big plan And that the day of salvation, of judgment and restoration and that kingdom of God is nearer now than when we first believed. And anyone that was here in the last few weeks, over um, past four weeks in fact, in the Amos series, will be aware that judgment is coming. Judgment will come and for those that God does not find righteous, it's not going to be a good day. And I know that sounds really heavy and we're talking about love and it feels like it should be much lighter, but the thing is... I have to remember this because it means that when I think about loving that family member that I really don't want to have to interact with, I'm reminded that that person is facing God's judgment too. And if I don't love them the way that God asks me to, if I do not bless them and pray for them, if I do not desire for them to have God's goodness in their life, and if I do not try to participate in bringing about this good kingdom that that God has begun, then I am in effect cursing them. I am wishing for them to be separated from God for eternity. And I cannot wish that on anyone. Because the thing is, I know that having God in my life gives me purpose and hope and peace. And there are things that still cause doubt. I often have doubt. And uh, there are things that I feel frustrated by and things that I struggle with. And I'm sure that that is all of us, that we struggle with lots of things despite knowing God. But I have a deep assurance because knowing God assures me that I have worth purely because I am made in God's image. And I have a family of faith that stretches around the world and starts right here in this room. And I know that God will provide for me. And I know where I'm going when I die. And I know that none of my suffering or doubt will last. I understand the present time. And if we understand the present time, then we must love our neighbours sincerely because we long for them to know God like we do. And so to do this, Paul tells us to clothe ourselves in Christ. And I love the Bible. I think it's a treasure. But there are some very strange verses in the Bible when you stop and look at it closely. And that idea, if you think it, think overthink it, uh, can take you in some very strange directions. Uh, But when Paul says that we should clothe ourselves in Christ, I think what he's saying is we should style ourselves like Christ. 
And we've already kind of talked about the fact that if we are Christian, then we have been united to Christ. So that is a putting on of Christ. Um, But I also think that Paul is telling us to put on Christ in our actions. So this is the practical bits. This is the bit that is helpful for when we walk out the door. If we're going to truly make love our ethic for living, the thing that we use as the basis of every interaction that we have, uh, it is helpful to have some detailed ideas about what that looks like. So we have the reasons for making love our ethic. And when we read those verses then in chapter 12, like verse 19 and 20, which say, don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, and which go on to say, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. Then we have the reason to do this. God has a big plan and is going to avenge. So we'll follow through with justice. And so our response is to follow Christ's suit in loving others. And Christ is the best example we can have for how to love. When we look at the Gospels, we can watch Jesus love his friends while they doubt him and turn away from him. And while he loves his nation while they reject him and his government while they prosecute and crucify him. Jesus is our best example of love and we are to style ourselves after the way that he loved. So we've seen that one of the ways we can do this in practice is by deferring revenge and trusting God to be the one who uh, does justice in the end. But we also see lots of other practical examples of love. And the very first thing that we read, that Jeffrey read for us in verse 9, is that love must be sincere. It must be without hypocrisy. So we need to practice embodying sincere love. We need to practice making our actions match our beliefs and our words. If someone tells you that they love you, but then is actually cheating on you or keeps shouting at you or keeps failing to trust you, then they are not being sincere and that is not love. Another point that I think is really important when we read this passage that we shouldn't miss is that straight after saying that love must be sincere, Paul says that love hates what is evil and clings to what is good. So the whole notion of sincere love is framed by the ideas that love hates evil and clings to good. So how we love is by being discerning, by recognising evil and rejecting it. And this, I think, is really reassuring because one of the challenges of this passage on our first reading is that some of us have very real enemies very close to us. But this passage cannot be used to say that honouring others above yourselves or being patient in affliction requires victims just to roll over and submit. And it's not saying that to punish crime now is to seek revenge and therefore we shouldn't do it. There is still room for punishment in this moment. Paul says in chapter 13, verse 10, that love does no harm. So what we're being asked to do is to love with humility. To be devoted or to honour others first or to defer revenge doesn't mean that we become doormats for everyone. But we are to consider ourselves, as the first part of Romans 12 says, which we don't have in our booklets, but it tells us that we should consider ourselves with sober judgment. We cannot see ourselves as being better than everyone else, but nor should we diminish our worth. We all bear God's image. We all have inherent value. And also in the start of chapter 12, uh, Christians have been reminded that they are each necessary members of the body of Christ. And so we are to give ourselves as living sacrifices to each other. 
This is how the church is designed to function, and that requires us practising humility. And so uh, that is something that we can do to love sincerely, is we can practise humility. We can also practise love by being zealous. And this is not a word that we use very often, uh, but when I was a, a nursing student, I ended up in a conversation with God uh, about, sorry, I did end up in a conversation with God. I also ended up in a conversation about God with my nursing preceptor. Um, and in that conversation, she ended up calling me zealous. And at the time, I remember feeling really kind of awkward about that and not loving it because for me, to be called zealous had an association with intensity and uh, I definitely at that time thought that to be intense was negative, um, the way that my family encouraged me to be a bit less intense made me think it was a bad thing, and so the idea of being called zealous did not really appeal to me. But uh, when you look at our passages from today, verse 11 says that zeal is a mark of sincere love, uh, and so it is a slightly more positive idea in my mind now. And it helps us to think of zeal as spiritual bubble, like a pot simmering away on a stove. And so if you look around at our congregation, who do you know that has zeal? How about Kirsten Campbell? She has a zeal for prayer. Or Joe has a zeal for advocating for justice. Richard and Jerome and Lenore have zeal that our kids have fun while they're learning about Jesus. Geng and Andy have zeal. Geng is faithfully here. He has the highest stats for attendance in our church. And that shows a zeal for this church, faithfulness to us as people. He comes and turns up all the time. And we all know how hard it is to come to church every Sunday. Andy has zeal for the parents in her community to know Jesus. And so she welcomes them into her home and hosts a Bible study. Mick has a zeal for protection of the environment and preservation of the environment. Catherine has a zeal for the church to be a safe place, and particularly for our children, and so she has committed to being our church's child safety officer. And I could go on. There are so many people with zeal in this church, and that is a fantastic thing. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. We can practise loving with zeal, and we can also practise loving through generosity, and again, I think I just need to say, keep doing what you're doing. We are a generous church. This is not something that you don't have, you don't have to feel bad about this. But we can always increase in generosity. And when Paul was writing, his example that he gives is practising hospitality. And that doesn't mean just having your friends and family over for a G&T on the patio. It meant um, opening your house up to strangers and... Uh, maybe you might have a mutual acquaintance, maybe they'd been recommended to you, maybe you just had a chance conversation, but the idea was that you would open your home and you would feed those people, even if they had entirely different cultural practices, and you would uh, include them in your home for as long as they needed. That is a generous act to open your home up so openly to someone. And that is something that I think we were also encouraged to do in our Crossing the Isle Festival. We were encouraged to be generous and to open ourselves up to people. And so the other aspect of generous love is that we can be generous in our responses to others. If it is possible, Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. To live at peace with everyone requires a generous attitude. Because if we're going to be able to do that, it means that we need to be prepared to give up some of our own expectations or rights. It means we need to give people the benefit of the doubt. And perhaps we need to give up being right sometimes. It also means rejoicing with those who rejoice. 
and mourning with those who mourn. And the truth is that sometimes rejoicing with those who rejoice is the harder task. Uh, So I am 35 and have grown up in the church, which means that I have attended many weddings and I have watched many of my friends get married and many of my friends have families. And that is not my lot at this point in time. And it has been difficult to rejoice with them all the time. Because when we see others getting the things that we want, our tendency can be to feel disappointment or resentment or jealousy. And that might be in our careers, it might be in our housing situations, it might be in our friendships, that can come in lots of ways. But rejoicing with others when they are rejoicing is not always that easy. And so making love our ethic in life is a good thing to do but it's not necessarily an easy thing to do. If we are to clothe ourselves in Christ and to make love our ethic, then we need to trust God's plan and we need to want to fulfil his law and we are going to need God's strength. And I think this is why Paul says that love is also joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. We have been given a reason to hope and to be joyful in this hope despite the presence of evil in the world because we know that God is at work and has a good plan and this plan ultimately includes justice and the eradication of evil. We have been given a reason to be patient in affliction. We know that God is still at work transforming our own lives and also transforming the lives of others. And we know that God is a patient God. Psalm 145 says that God is slow to anger and steadfast in love. And in Romans in chapter 9, so just a few chapters before this, we've been reminded that God shows patience in deferring his judgment. So part of the reason that we don't see justice happening right now is because God is patient and wants those who don't yet know him to come to know him. And that should be our desire for others to know the goodness of God the way that we do. And we have a reason to be faithful in prayer because we know that God is a powerful God who is at work in us by his spirit and who is including us in the work of bringing about his kingdom. We are able to participate in bringing in his kingdom, which is a kingdom of love, where love reigns. So our encouragement today is to practice putting on Christ and to practice loving sincerely. And that can start here. We can love each other, we need to use our discernment, but we can love generously and with zeal. And then when we walk out those doors, we are to keep going. We are to love others in a way that shows the hope and the peace that comes from knowing God and God's goodness and from understanding this present time. And so I'm going to pray for us. Loving God, we thank you for the great love you have shown to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you include us in your plan for overcoming evil with good. Help us to make love our ethic and strengthen us by your spirit to love our neighbours generously and with zeal and without seeking revenge, but trusting your justice. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, who loves us and has given himself for us. Amen.